You're listening to the Option Alpha Podcast from OptionAlpha.com, where we show you how to make smarter trades, learn how the stock market really works, and generate consistent monthly income. Now, your host and head trader at OptionAlpha.com, Kirk Duplessis. Hey everyone, this is Kirk here again from OptionAlpha.com, working every single week to make this the most popular investing podcast offered online because it's based on one thing and one thing only, and that's helping you guys make smarter trades. So again, thank you so much for tuning in today. On today's show, we are going to be talking about option skew and the volatility smile that comes from option pricing, both intermonth and intramonth. And we're going to get really knee deep into a lot of this volatility stuff, which I think will help out not only just conceptually a little bit with understanding how markets price thing, but also understanding a little bit about the skew that's embedded in many equity and equity index options trading strategies. So like I said, it's going to be a little bit more in-depth than maybe our typical or generic podcast that we might do, but I think it's a topic that we haven't covered really anywhere in most of the training that we've done, which is kind of actually Sad to say that at least at this point, we haven't covered it that much. And you'll see why at the end, why we don't cover it that much. But it's a topic that we have not covered in depth as much as we're going to do so here today. So as always, if you guys want to get some additional uh, screenshots, some notes, and some commentary from today's show, just head on over to optionalpha.com slash show 137. Again, it's just the number 137. All the show notes will be posted there and all the details uh, as well as the transcript and the uh, guides that you can download that go along with this. So when we talk about skew, the first thing I want to talk about is just this idea of a normal distribution market versus a skewed distribution. Because I think that's where it really, you know, the really discussion starts with. And so in many of the trainings that we do and many of the videos that I do, I talk about and visually show a normal distribution graph. Now, I always add the caveat or the little asterisk at the end that says, you know, look, we assume that the markets are not normally distributed. We know that they're not that way and neither does the option pricing models. But it's easy for a visual component to learning how probabilities work, how expected ranges work to use in many cases, just a very normal distribution as a learning tool. But again, the reason that we don't know that or we know that it's not normally distributed is because there is embedded skew in the markets. And in many cases, there's sometimes positive skew to equity prices in the sense that equity prices should in the long run return something greater than the risk-free rate of return, which has generally been zero for the last couple of years, but it's now starting to edge up. So we know that that's a component to it. We know that generally there is some positive skew to market prices. And then when it comes to option pricing, as we're going to learn here today, there is a little bit of put side skew or negative skew that occurs. And it just has to deal with this concept that over time and more often than not, if a stock is going to go down, it's going to go down hard or it has the ability to go down or crash very violently and fast. And that when markets actually are going the other direction, not that they can't violently crash up, but that they more often than not tend to float or just naturally go up at a very steady small pace, right? So again, I'm talking in broad strokes here. We're not talking about individual securities because it can always happen. There's always an exception to that rule. But generally, if stocks are going to go down, they're going to crash hard or move down fast, and then they float higher. And so that concept is where this idea of volatility skew comes into play and in what we're going to learn about here today. So when we talk about volatility skew, there's two components. There's one, there's volatility. And when we reference volatility, we're talking about the actual implied volatility 
of different option contracts. We're not talking about just the movement historically of the stock price or the movement historically of the option contract. We're talking about the embedded implied volatility that is present at any given time when we're looking at volatility skew. And that means that what is the expectation of volatility for that contract, that strike price, that expiration date going out into the future? The next part of this is skew, right? So that's a second component of this. And again, skew refers to just the difference between one strike price and another or one expiration and another. Now, I think people wrongly assume when they hear the word skew that something is twisted or backwards or it doesn't work or it's not meant to be or something went wrong. That's not the case. All we're referring to in skew is that something is not exactly as symmetric or it's asymmetric compared to some other strike price or expiration date. There's a differential in pricing between one strike price and another or one expiration date in another. So again, this really comes to back to what we were saying earlier. It's just about the perceived risk of something happening on one side of the payoff diagram versus the other. And what we usually see is we usually see this happen a lot in equities and equity index options because many institutions will use options as a hedging technique. We've talked about this many times. They'll use a simple collar strategy or synthetic strategy to use options to hedge their position. And because they know that their greatest risk is if the stock goes down, they'll more often than not use an option out of the money buying strategy as a hedge. It's like insurance. It's just like insurance on your house. You buy insurance on your house at some price so that if the house burns down, you get some money from the insurance contract. And so what institutions will mainly do then is they'll buy option contracts that are out of the money on the put side. And that then increases the price of those out of the money put options. But they're not going to just buy them outright because it'd be too costly to do that on a reoccurring basis. So what they do is they generally sell call options that are out of the money to help finance that cost. It's a very simple synthetic caller strategy that we've talked about, I think, in a previous episode here on the weekly podcast. So when they do this, you think about it, just the supply and demand aspect of that. If they're out there buying up these put options, then that's increasing the price of the put options. And they're selling call options, which is decreasing the price of the call options because of the selling pressure. And that naturally, just through that type of activity, whether it's institutions or individual people on either side, that naturally is going to create some sort of skew in the pricing of those option contracts. And what we see more often is that that skew is more geared towards the put side. Again, just because of this assumption or perceived risk that the stock or index or ETF could crash much faster than it could rise and rally higher. So when we then start looking at it, let's say one extra level now, we can start looking at the skew between two different components, I guess, or two different ways. The first way that we can look at skew is we can look at it on an intra-month basis, I-N-T-R-A, intra-month basis. And this refers to the skew between individual strike prices in a single expiration month. So if we're looking at September expiration contracts, we could look at the skew between the, all of the strike prices that are in September expiration. We could also look at it on the other side, which is an inter-month skew. So I-N-T-E-R versus R-A, inter-month skew, which is looking at the volatility generally between the front month expiration and say a back month expiration. So really quickly, you want to think about earnings trades. When you get into an earnings type of event, The week that those earnings are announced, you'll see the volatility for the weekly contracts go through the roof. 
because the event is happening during those weekly contracts. And then the later dated contracts have lower and lower volatility because the assumption is by that time, things will have calmed down to some degree. We'll get some sort of cyclicality and there won't be such big gyrations, right? So that's inter-month skew. That's the difference between, say, the weekly contracts during an earnings event and then the monthly contracts three months afterwards. And so again, we can look at those differentials to see what happens between the two. Now, in many cases, because these out-of-the-money call options are generally priced cheaper, and it could be because of skew or it could be because of expectation, and puts are generally priced a little bit more expensive, whether it's because of expectation or speculation or people are hedging, that's what creates a little bit of this pricing skew. And again, that is totally normal. That's normal to have. So just to kind of illustrate this point, I want to walk through a little bit of what the pricing is right now on the SPY at the time that we're doing this podcast, because I think that helps you understand just, uh, if nothing else, just hearing the differentials between here helps you understand how the market is naturally pricing in, and I would say naturally pricing in some downside exposure. So when we talk to people all the time about option strategies, their fear is, well, markets move down faster than they move up. And in some respects, that could be true, right? That markets can float higher and they crash very violently. But the market prices that in. In fact, many option pricing models already price that in as well. They price in that natural skew that happens in markets. So to prove this point, just to show you what's going on, we're right now we're looking at the August expiration contracts for SPY at the time that we're recording this podcast. And the SPY is trading at $280. In fact, it's almost $280 on the nose. So when we look and we say, you know, let's just look at contracts that are, say, $10 out on either end, which in many respects you could assume or maybe assume initially if you don't go through this podcast and listen to it all the way that maybe the option prices for those contracts $10 out are almost the same or very similar. And that would be a valid rational assumption. Why wouldn't they be, right? The market has a great, just an equal chance of going up $10 as it has of going down $10. But when we actually look at the option pricing, what we see is that the call options at $290 are priced at $15 a piece, 15 cents, but 15 notional dollars on the option terms. So the stock is trading at 280. The 290 call options, just $10 out, are trading at $15. The 270 put options, which are $10 below where the market is trading, so an equal distance on the bottom side, is trading at $85. A huge discrepancy in pricing. In fact, there's almost nobody that could say that those prices are very similar or even close. There's a major difference in pricing there. And that pricing shows the put skew or the volatility skew that is present in the market to the put side. So as we go further and further out of the money on the put side, the option prices do not decay or do not reduce their value as fast as on the call side. So to even kind of walk through and prove this point a little bit more, if we look at just $5 increments between these two, so from the stock price of 280 If we look at the 285 call option, the value of those 285 call options is $78. Then when we go $5 out to the 290 call options, the price drops to $15. So a pretty drastic and almost waterfall effect of option pricing as we go further out on the call side. And again, the reason for that is is that markets generally do not have this crash up effect. 
They generally float higher. So why would people, you know, trip over themselves to bid up all these call options, not assuming that the market's going to crash up another 10 or 20 or 30 points? Now, on the put side, everyone's worried about the market crashing down or at least hedging some sort of that, some of that exposure. So when you go from the 280 where the stock is trading now to the 275 put options, the price of those 275 put options is $140. The price of the 270 put options is $84. And it's not until you get all the way down to the 240 options on the put side the 240 options, more than 40 points below the market, do you find put options that are the same price as the 290 call options at $15? And that's really kind of crazy when you think about it, that there's that much maybe potentially embedded skew in the market at the August expiration. Now, again, all of this is very normal. It's very generic that this happens. It's not a huge anomaly by any stretch. I'm not saying that there's mispricing or that things are backwards. That's really just how the market works. There's a lot of embedded put, spew, uh, put skew in the market because of this assumption that things could go lower at any point and that they generally kind of float higher, right? So that's what we're talking about. Now, that's inter-month skew. That's what we were talking about as looking at the difference between strike prices at different months inter-month at the same August expiration. Now, when we look at, say, intra-month skew between, say, August and September, now we start to see a little bit of that skew start to subside and maybe actually flatten out if you graph it. So the skew between strikes as you go further out in time and the skew between option months starts to flatten out. So you get this you know, really high smile effect as we'll go through here in a second. But then as you go further out in time, it starts to really flatten out because at that point, there's so much time for the stock to move that we don't have as much skew. And so now what we see is that in the case of the differential between August expiration and now September expiration is about a two point differential in volatility. The volatility expectation generally for August is about 12% volatility. The volatility expectation in September is about 14% volatility, but much more flatter across all the different strike prices. You don't have that dramatic waterfall effect on the call side as you go out to September expiration as you do with August expiration. All right, so one thing I want to talk about now is the volatility smile or the steepness of these volatility lines when you look at them either on a broker platform like Thinkorswim, which you can check out, or your broker platform that you use. Now, I think people misunderstand what these volatility smile lines really represent when it comes to the differences between the different contract months, so intramonth volatility smile. And when we talk about the steepness of the lines, really there's there's two ways that this line can be shown or two common ways that people are used to looking at these lines. The first is to have a line that looks or resembles a smile, which again, we all know is you know steep on one side, it comes down to a valley and then comes right back up on the other side. So it resembles somebody smiling in their face and their mouth. And then we have this skew, which is kind of like a half smile. So one side is very you know steep and, and high and the other side to the right is very flat and level. 
So when we talk about smile, people often look for, I think in many cases wrongly, they look at volatility smile for expirations that are very close, like weekly options or bi-weekly options that are two or three weeks out. And they see that the option prices are creating this smile effect, which means that the volatility that's baked into not only the call side, but also the put side is very, very high. And you can visually see this when you graph volatility of the front month options to later date contracts three, four, five months out. And that doesn't necessarily mean that those option contracts are actually a better deal. I think that's what everyone assumes. And that because those option contracts on those weekly options have a much greater level of implied volatility, automatically default assumes that they are a better deal to maybe sell options on. But here's what people don't understand about it and like the catch that's required to this. And it comes in the form of understanding how options are priced. So as we approach expiration, what you have to remember about option vega, which is the component, Greek component that basically tells us how much an options price is going to change based on and change in implied volatility. Well, as we approach expiration, option vega decreases because longer dated option contracts are more tied to changes in volatility. As we get closer to expiration, the impact of volatility on an option price goes down and down and down. And the way that I describe it is I describe the change in trajectory of a plane going from New York to San Francisco. So a plane leaves New York and has a very slight change in its direction, the heading that it's going. And because it has such a long distance to carry now from New York to San Francisco or targeting San Francisco, but as soon as it takes off, it just slightly tweaks the direction it's heading that it's going. It could change the direction of the plane dramatically away from San Francisco, right? So that's why Vega for long dated contracts has an enormous impact or let's say has a bigger impact than shorter dated contracts because a small change now could have a big impact six months down the road. But when you look at Vega, the last couple weeks of expiration or as you're approaching expiration, it doesn't have that big of a difference on the overall trajectory of the plane. So if a plane leaves New York and is heading for San Francisco and right before the plane lands, it makes a small slight tweak in its heading, it's not going to dramatically change the destination. Yes, it might miss the runway, right? It might, you know, overshoot the airport by a mile on one end or the other, but a change that late in the game does not have a big impact on the overall destination. You're still going to land really close to where you were targeting. It's that same concept, hopefully that I described that has an impact on option pricing. So later stage changes in volatility have lower and lower impact on the option price. So what does this mean now? This means that the lower the vega, which happens closer to expiration, and the lower the option price, it means that it requires a much larger change in volatility to change that option price dramatically. So again, to use our example of the plane, which hopefully is helping out. If for some reason we did not want to be in San Francisco and we wanted to course correct we could course correct at the last minute 
over top of San Francisco and try to head up north to Seattle. But that would require a huge change in our trajectory. It would require a total deviation from where we're going, right? So we're literally about to land in San Francisco and we want to go to Seattle. We've got to turn the plane all the way around and head north to Seattle. That is what I mean by this huge volatility event, this huge momentum change that would actually make a difference. Now, if we're just leaving New York and we want to you know, head to Seattle and we make that decision just after takeoff in New York, well, good. It's just a very small course correction because over the rest of the period heading across the country, we'll get to Seattle. We don't need to make a huge deviation in our, in our trajectory because we just left. So because of this reason, and hopefully this makes sense as we're going through it, but because of this power of Vega and the diminishing effect it has as we get closer to expiration, what it means is that option contracts that are out of the money and close to expiration naturally have really high implied volatilities. And it's not because those option contracts are insanely overpriced. It's just because they require a huge change in volatility to ever make any money. And so that doesn't mean that they're better deals than, say, a monthly contract or a couple months out. It just purely means that because of the option pricing, those option contracts, which are closer to expiration on both sides, calls and puts, require a huge change in the underlying price to change the option price of the contract. It's why when people trade and buy weekly options, they get killed on theta decay unless the stock has a huge move. It's the same concept. So what I see all the time is I see people posting charts of this volatility smile for near dated option contracts. And they say things like, oh, the volatility is ridiculous and the premium's high. We've got to sell these weekly options. But it's just because you require a huge change in the underlying during that last week or those last two weeks to make money. It doesn't mean that those option contracts are a better deal necessarily than some of the other contracts. Now, that being said, that's also why we see volatility on both ends of the spectrum for closer dated option contracts. For weekly contracts, we see volatility really expand as we get out of the money. Again, because there's a short amount of time, there's not too long that the market has to move. So either side could be hit very quickly, right? If you think about it, a 1%, 2% move can be done in a day or two on a weekly contract. But a multi-month move on a monthly or bi-monthly contract might mean that the stock floats higher and could crash lower, you know, at a much greater magnitude. So that's why when you look at longer dated option contract and their volatility, you know, skew and smile, it's much more flat. There's still some skew to the put side for sure, but it's much more flat because you've got more time. You've got more time for the market to make these, you know, course corrections over 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, etc. So I hopefully that makes sense and I hope you understand conceptually what I'm talking about. I encourage you to you know look up some of this volatility smile. You can just Google it or search on our website. Head on over to the show notes page uh, where we'll post some stuff over at optionalpha.com slash show 137. We've got a link in there, image in there where we did the SPYs we were just talking about and I looked at the different series of option volatility from the weeklies to all the monthlies and you can see the weekly contracts have huge volatility smile. Again, it's just because of how the Vega is impacting those option prices as you get closer to expiration. So last thing I want to end here with is basically how do we use all this? So it's good to understand 
how volatility smile works, how option skew works. But at the end of the day, how do we use this to potentially make better decisions? The first thing I can say is just understanding the impact of intra-month versus inter-month volatility is really important. Just like we were talking about earnings trades on a weekly basis versus monthly, that right there is a big component that most people don't look at. So if you understand that as we get closer to an event that happens during that time period, that the volatility may spike around that event, that might create a trading opportunity for us, especially during the earnings season. It also means that if we understand how skew works and we do see that there's an enormous amount of put skew on a given expiration month, it means that those put options are much more are much higher priced. And so selling puts or put spreads can be a little bit more profitable, whether we sell them at the same regular delta we're used to or we sell them further out for a same price we could have sold them closer into or closer in at the prior month. So that's how I would use it. I would look at SKU if we do look at it and say, look, you know, is, is this SKU enormously out of whack for a given expiration month compared to what we're used to? And if so, can we sell some additional put options? You can also use this if you wanted to, to then realize how far you would slide strike prices for, say, a strangle. So what a lot of people do with a strangle is they set up a strangle $10 out on either end. But as you saw earlier, you're naturally going to get some skew on the put side by selling the $10 out put options on SPY versus the $10 out call options. Now, this may be something you want to do. You want to set up a $10 wide spread or what we do instead is we use deltas as our proxy for where to set our strike prices. In fact, all of our backtesting software, all of our trade optimization software is set up around deltas because deltas allow us to naturally account for skew in the market by selling the same delta on either end of the stock. So in the case of SPY, if we were going to sell in our case for the August expiration contracts, if we were going to sell the 15 delta options on either end, then we would be selling the 286 call options, again, stock trading around 280, and then the 15 delta put options would be the 270s, so a little bit further out on the put side. Now, again, this is why I like using Delta because Delta naturally is going to account for skew. It's going to make our put options a little bit further out because maybe there's a little bit higher risk that the stock goes down at a greater magnitude. And it's going to maybe bring in our call options a little bit more so that if the stock floats higher, it takes a long time for the stock to breach our strike price. So that's why I like using Deltas. But again, skew can help you understand this differential. If you just did $10 out on either end, you may not know why there's a differential in pricing. So I hope you guys understood and, and hopefully enjoyed today's discussion on option skew and the volatility smile. Like I said, it's it's a very advanced topic. It's not a beginner topic by any stretch, but hopefully it brings a little bit more clarity, a little bit more context to how things work. It's not something, honestly, that we look at all the time. It's maybe something I'll glance at a couple times a year for the broad markets, but generally, because I know it's accounted for and I understand it, I understand why option pricing is different for puts than calls. And so it's something that we naturally take into account with deltas. And what our backtesting has naturally done over time is just base everything off of deltas versus the number or dollar strike prices out on either end. And now our favorite part of the show, Trader Q&A, where we ask a question from one of our current members about options trading. Got a question you'd like to ask Kirk to answer live on the air? Just head on over to optionalpha.com forward slash ask and hit the record button to leave a message. That's optionalpha.com forward slash ask. 
And now, here's today's question. Hello, Kirk. This is Julio Gonzalez from Virginia. Just wanted to let you know that I purchased your Signals book, and I'm going through it just to adjust my current system. It's a lot of good information, and I'm certainly enjoying it, as well as all the training that you have put out for us. So I had a question about something that happened to one of my past trades. So at the end of 2017, I, I, I traded an iron condor on TSRO. And within a few days of trading the iron condor, the purple line was actually taller than the actual iron condor itself. I'm trying to describe it the best that I can, but it was taller as in the current profit had I sold it was higher than the max profit. So is, is that possible? I will follow up with an email so you can see, you know, so, so you can have a picture of what it looked like for me. So thank you for, uh, for everything that you do, podcasts and, well, everything, all the training. Take care. All right. So Julio, thank you so much. I appreciate you supporting us by buying a copy of the Signals Research, which is great. Uh, so again, with your question on figuring out if there's a potential to have a profit line higher than the real max profit with the case of your TSRO Iron Condor, the reality is, is that it's not possible unless something changes in your option strategy. So if you let your Iron Condor go all the way to expiration and all of the contracts expired, you would get exactly what your max profit is. So there's no potential unless you change the strategy to generate more profit than the initial max profit possible on the trade. Now, what I mean by changing the strategy is if you remove one leg versus another, or if you adjust the position, or if you get assigned stock on one side and not the other, then that could change the payoff distribution. And obviously it's wildly subjective because we don't know what would happen or what the scenario would be. But there is an opportunity for you to potentially either A, lose more money or B, make more money on a trade depending on how the payoff diagram shifts. But if you keep it in its raw form and the trade just goes as a normal trade, nothing funny happens, then really you don't have any possible opportunity to make more money than your max profit, especially with these iron condors and credit spreads, strangles, straddles, et cetera, all these premium selling strategies. If they work the way they do 99.9% of the time, you don't have an opportunity to make more money on them. So good question as always. Again, if you have a question that you've been dying to ask me and you want to get it added here to the podcast or to the daily call, please head on over to optionalpha.com slash ask. Click the big red button in the middle of the screen and leave me a private voicemail. Again, there's no software to download or install. It's literally very easy. It takes two seconds, 30 seconds to record it. We would love to get more questions added here and are always looking for new content that we could queue up for these podcasts. Now, before we get into the closing bell segment, I want to let you guys know about your special podcast freebie today, which if you haven't done it yet, please go ahead and download our ultimate strategy guide. It's completely free. It's over 90 pages expanded, walks through our entire framework around options trading, and you can get it to by going to optionalpha.com slash ebook. That's just the word ebook optionalpha.com slash ebook or by texting in the word strategies, S-T-R-A-T-E-G-I-E-S to the short code 44222. So you just pop out your phone, send a message to 44222 is the phone number, text the word strategies and we'll send you a copy there as well. Now, the closing bell. Find out which stocks we're looking at right now, trades we're making and hear our game plan moving forward. Moving forward.
All right, so in today's closing bell segment, I want to go through a new trade that we got into in USO. So USO, it's like a love-hate relationship, honestly, that I have with USO. But the reason I like trading USO is because it is pretty liquid. It's one of the more more liquid underlyings as far as ETFs go. It has lots of liquidity. The the at-the-money contracts right now that we're trading are 93,000 contracts of open interest on one side, 86,000 contracts of open interest on the other side, and 34,000, 30,000 contracts of volume have gone through today. So there's a lot of activity in USO. Now, the problem with USO is that it's a low-priced ETF. So at the time that we're doing this right now, uh, the stock is trading or ETF is trading around $14. So it's a really low-priced ETF, which means it's hard to scale because you've got to get a lot of contracts in. You've got to get a lot of fills to make it really worth your while. Now, in the case of USO, it is at the top of our implied volatility rank uh, watch list right now. So it's got some really good implied volatility. It is coming off the highs, but still has really good volatility. And the August contracts, which we're trading, also have really good volatility compared to July or September. So it's got actually the same volatility in August as it does in September. You just get the trade contracts closer in with more theta decay. So that's always a positive. So in the case of USO, the really the only strategy you can go after is to do a short straddle. And I say that in, on my side because you can't really trade it with credit spreads out of the money. You just don't take in enough premium and there's not enough strike prices to do it. And you definitely can't do a strangle because, again, there's just not enough premium to make it worth your while. So to kind of prove this point, if we were trading just a $1 wide strangle on either end, so selling the 13 puts and then selling the 15 calls with the stock trading around $14, we would collect a whole total whopping $15 per strangle, which means we'd have a lot of margin exposure for a very, very small potential profit. So again, I love USO for the liquidity of the at the money contracts, but I hate USO at the same time because you really only have one strategy and that's short straddles which in that case, we always wait for high implied volatility, which is what we're seeing right now. So the very simple strategy here with USO is to sell the short straddle at the 14 strikes. So we're selling the August 14s on both sides, the call in the put taking in an $82 credit. We're doing a couple of these to start with. The margin's not that much to carry for USO, so we don't have to do them as a risk-defined trade. But if you were trading it as a risk-defined trader in an IRA or retirement account and you could not do the undefined risk or naked straddle, then you would just simply look to buy options out $2 on either end. So buy the 16 calls and buy the $12 puts. They're only worth a buck on either end. So for $2, you basically cut down your potential risk and margin exposure, but you do pay the commissions to get those on. So uh, it's a little bit more expensive to do that, but it does make the position doable for any type of account. The idea here is just to see USO's implied volatility start to go down. And if it does, we should see a nice little profit start to materialize much further out than expiration. I don't think that we'll hold these all the way to expiration, which is a little over 30 days now that we're entering into this trade. So again, that's our USO trade for the day. Thanks for listening to the Option Alpha podcast. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a rating or comment. Plus, you can get everything. Free email updates for future shows, transcripts, video tutorials, case studies, and more. Just visit our website at optionalpha.com. 
All right, everyone. Well, I truly hope you guys enjoyed today's show. And as always, got at least one thing out of it that you can apply right now to make you a smarter, more profitable trader and investor. And as always, you can get additional resources, some links mentioned in the show, and some related video training in today's show by going to optionalpha.com slash show 137. Again, that's 137, just the number 137, optionalpha.com slash show 137. Until next time, happy trading.